In Sex After, we are getting raw and honest about the most challenging aspects of sex, intimacy, and relationships after seismic change. This is Amy Marks. We're having intimate and unfiltered conversations with people who've been through life-altering experiences, and I'm finding out what sex and intimacy are like for them in the after. We're getting naked physically and getting naked emotionally. This is Sex After. I am thrilled to be talking with Alexandra Capolini today. She graduated from Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City and is presently a doctor doing her residency in pediatrics at the University of Michigan. At seven years old, Alexandra was diagnosed with bone cancer, and that ultimately led her to an above-knee amputation of her right leg. Alexandra is a skier, a rock climber, and an active advocate for the adaptive community. We reached out to Alexandra after reading her Modern Love article, His Comfort is Not My Responsibility, which was in the New York Times. This article deeply resonated with me, and I'm so thankful that Alexandra said yes when my producer, Chris, reached out to her, and I'm very grateful that she's here to talk to us today. So without further ado, please welcome Alexandra Capolini. It was really a reflection on my experiences dating as a young woman with one leg in New York City and how I make sense of experiences that have been both good and bad. I, my, my mind went to not that you didn't just say a young woman dating, but you added in New York City, because whenever I talk about dating, I always add in New York City. <laughs> it's, it's a totally. Yes, it's, I think. It's just like a. It's a totally different game. Let's talk about when you tell a guy you have a prosthetic leg in regards to dating. So that's the that's the question <laughs> pause, of the pause, day. Pause. <laughs> it is and can I and ju- just so everyone here knows, it's my question too. I lost my breast to cancer and I was in a relationship when I uh, lost my breast, but then I started dating. And it was always the question, Alexandra, when do I tell people online? And I had people, I don't know if people did this with you, people were like, well, you need to post it. You need to put it in your profile. I was like, why? What, are, you, are you putting intimate details in your profile? So I'm so, so that question always struck with me. Unfortunately, when people Google me and they see my show, they know right away. But um, <laughs> yeah, right? I, I sort of can't hide it. But talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's something I've been struggling with for the last few years. When I moved back to New York City after finishing college, my friends, you know, all gave me advice about the dating scene and said, well, you have to be on the apps now. Like, that's what people in their 20s are doing. Which in New apps York are City. you on, Alexandra? Which, oh. <laughs> which apps are you on? I started with <laughs> we Hinge. Can compare apps. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's what I'm on now. I hate it. Okay. You hate it? Okay. Um, I've had like. Yeah. Love-hate relationship with Hinge. I've been on Hinge. Then I joined Bumble. Me too. (laughs) I was on Coffee Meets Bagel for like a hot sec, and then I got rid of that one because I wasn't really into Mm -hmm. the setup. Like you collect coffee beans, and then you have to like give them away to people, and I didn't know what was happening there. Oh, my God, that's weird. I've never done that one, and I'm not going to. Yeah, so I got rid of that, and now I'm like strictly a Hinge and Bumble person. (laughs) Do you have it on your profile? Do do you? Yeah. So when I was making my first profiles, 
you know, I was thinking through, okay, how many photos do you put on? What's the first photo? What's the second? And I decided that I'd make the first photo my face because that's what everyone seemed to be doing. Like you get a little photo of your so face. So I just want to say this. I want to say this to viewers because I did see what Alexandra looks like. She's beautiful. So I just want to start with that. Okay, go ahead. Sorry to me to cut you off. You're too kind. So I I put one photo of my face and then I think my second photo was like a zoomed out photo that shows my face and then maybe something like waist up. And then I was thinking, what do I do next? Like, is there supposed to be a full body photo where my prosthesis is on display? Should I be wearing pants in that photo or a short Um, or a dress or a skirt or shorts I wasn't really sure what to do and I decided to just go for a photo where I'm wearing a pair of shorts just for full disclosure and then I Mm -hmm. thought okay I'll add another photo in where it's a little more obvious where I'm like standing in a group and you know I very clearly have the prosthesis on display and I felt at the time that was really important because anything else felt to me like I was hiding a big part of myself. So it felt odd to me to make a profile where it wasn't clear or in any way obvious that that I'm an above knee amputee. I love, I just want to stop you for a quick second. I love that you said that, that you felt like you would be hiding yourself. And I want to go back to uh, the profile, but is there like shame in, in that? Or did you ever have to deal with that? Because I think it's so important that you tell your truth. And however it lands with people, it lands. Right. I don't think there was ever shame. That's a really tricky, strong word for me. But what I've realized over the years is that there's a really big difference between accepting your body, being at peace with it, so to speak. That's different to me than being able to embrace your body and say, I like my body. I don't just accept it. I like it. And then I think the next step there is being able to really own your body and say, this is a body I can celebrate. I'm happy with it. And I think that process has taken me a really long time. And it was really not in place when I was in middle school, high school, and I still struggled in college. And it wasn't until I graduated college and went on these dating apps where I was actually thinking more like, am I really as comfortable with my one leg as I always thought I am? Or do I get really nervous and tense about it? Like, why am I nervous maybe at times about putting photos on my profile that show my prosthesis? And so the best thing that I found to do for myself was take a few Mm -hmm. deep breaths and put the photos on with the leg and, and really own it in that way for myself. I love that. I love everything that you just, I just love everything that you said. Yeah, I love about celebrating. It's just incredible. So um, so talk to me more about how the, the process of being on the dating site helped you to find that within yourself. Because I think that's so important for people because I think so many people struggle with that uh, body image and self-acceptance and self-love. Yeah, I It's an interesting experience on the dating apps because lots of people say, oh, the dating apps, it's a two-way street. You're looking to make connections with other people. But I realized along the way that I need to take charge of my own experience on them. And you really get into murky waters when you start relying on other people for 
validation for making you feel good on the apps. And that really kind of crushed me the first few months on the apps. Um, I, you know, was... Will you tell the story of... Will you tell the story of... Rob, I don't. I doubt that's his real name, but that you told me. It actually Rob is his article. real name. <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, good for you. <laughs> Fantastic. Even better. Well, tell us about Rob. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Rob was a guy that I started talking to in January or February of this past year. You know, during the pandemic, and mm-hmm. we matched because he was in New York at the time. This was on the Bumble app. And so I didn't know, of course, whether or not he lived in New York. I just knew he was nearby. And we started chatting and he told me he lived in Boston um, and he visited New York really often, was hoping to move here in a few weeks because his job was, you know, flexible. I thought he was really cute. He (laughs) came from the Massachusetts Boston area he was very friendly and we made easy conversation it was easy to talk to him on the app so this went on right. for a few weeks and of course you know a few weeks into chatting I'm wondering when I'm actually going to meet this guy and he says oh well you know once I get settled into my apartment I'd love to meet up and I think okay we've been talking for a few weeks now like he seems great it would be fun to meet him in person And so about a week before he and I make plans to meet, we started texting each other. You know, we moved off the app, Mm -hmm. which was like, okay, great. This is going in a good direction. Like, we need to be able. Stages (laughs) of the dating apps. Yes, yes, yes. It's a good sign. It's a good sign. (laughs) It's a good sign. You need to be able to take the conversation off the app. So I was very excited when we started texting. And, you know, we're picking a day to meet up. We're picking a restaurant. We're chatting. He's telling me he's so excited to meet me and really excited to get to know more of the restaurants around. East Village. And that's, you know, when it started to feel real to me, like, wow, we're actually going to meet Mm -hmm. in person after, you know, a month of chatting. And that was kind of the point where in my own mind, I started, you know, having a million thoughts racing through my head. You know, does he really know what I look like? Because there's not really a way for me to know for sure. So I went back and I checked my Bumble profile and I saw, okay, like my first two photos show my face and then more of my body and I have photos with my leg. Like he must know. But I had If people scroll to picture three. (laughs) If people scroll to picture three. And I'm thinking, all right, we've been talking for so long. Surely you've scrolled more than, you know, two inches. So Right, right. I have no idea, though. So I I didn't know how I wanted to go about this because I could stay quiet, not bring it up over text, not say anything, or Mm -hmm. I could ask him if he knew. And so in the past, the last few months I've been on these apps, I was, you know— uncomfortable meeting people not knowing if they knew. I really was looking for a way to know if the guy I was meeting knew about my leg. Because before a first date, you know, you're nervous about what you're going to wear, what you look like, if you're going to connect, where you're meeting. And, you know, I didn't want that added level of stress to me. Like, do I have to explain to this person that I have one leg? Like, you know, hopefully he already knows because I put it on my profile. So with Rob, Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. decided I would text him. And I sent one simple, one simple text. And I said, hey, just so there are no surprises, you do know that I have a prosthesis on my right leg, right? 
and it was a question. And in the middle of conversation, we've been talking back and forth in real time. I send this question and I hear nothing. (laughs) So I'm, I'm freaking out a little bit. 20 minutes go by. I still haven't heard. So I open up the Bumble app. I go back to, you know, where we originally met and our chats Mm -hmm. completely wiped clean. There's no evidence it ever happened. I just like I've read I've read your article like three or four times. And even you telling me the story like it just like blows me away. It blew me away at the time. So I'm looking. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I try not to jump to conclusions, right? Because you have no idea what's happening here. But, you know, right. it was odd timing that right when I text him about my leg, he deletes me on the apps and stops responding. And I, I freaked out and I grabbed my phone after, you know, tossing it on the floor. And I texted him like <laughs> the, the first few things that came to my mind. I just texted him that was really harsh. Because that's what it felt like. Good for you. Because you know what? It was. It was harsh. And I thought at that point, all right, he's going to ghost me. I'm never going to hear back. And he actually responded. And he said, I'm sorry. And I didn't, you know, even know what to make of that. Because I said in my mind, like, all right, so you're already acknowledging that this is exactly what I think it is. (laughs) Right, right. And, you know, we never spoke again, and I I took the next few hours of that night to kind of just decompress and take my mind off of it, but it stung. Of course. That was really when I, I kind of reached the tipping point where I, I kind of just told myself, I'm done with these questions. I have I no thought you were interest. Gonna go, I'm done with this app. I'm <laughs> done Because I say that 4,000 times a day. This is it. So that's when you decided? That's when I decided that I didn't want to ask those questions, you know, slipping them in. Hey, just so you know, I have a prosthetic. Were you aware? Or, hey, just so there are no surprises, you know that I have a prosthesis, right? I I didn't want to bother asking those questions anymore because I think after the experience with Rob, I really had kind of this revelation that this guy all along was not the right fit for me. And, you know, me asking this question was just kind of setting myself up at the end for some encounters I didn't want to have to deal with. And that I don't think I have to. I don't think that anyone should have to. Oh, I totally, I really understand that. I mean, because when I had lost my breasts, mm-hmm. I was so afraid to go into the dating world. I, I just, I just didn't know what to do, and I didn't know how to handle it. And you know, I, I didn't. Po- I mean, I didn't post it. I mean, I could have said I'm a breast cancer survivor. I lost my breast to cancer, but mm-hmm. I, I, I chose not to do that. But I remember my plastic surgeon, Dr. Karp, saying to me, "It's a really great test because it goes to exactly what you just said, Alexandra. It's a great test to know that if the person's right for you." They're right for you. And mm-hmm. just let them go. Get, you know, but it's still hard because I had people reject me because of it. And um, they're not right, but it still doesn't mean it's easy. It's, it's not easy at all. And I definitely believe that any guy on the apps who I've lost touch with after mentioning the leg or after mm-hmm. realizing that he didn't know and he finds out, I don't consider them 
losses because I don't think they're the right fit. I don't think they're the right person. But I think, you know, if you're in the dating scene, you're putting yourself out there. You kind of have to be in it to to be in it. And I think it's still important to talk about how a lot of these experiences, they take a toll. It doesn't feel good when this happens multiple times in a row. Absolutely. And you know what? I would say even if you um, didn't have a prosthesis or you didn't lose your breast to cancer, I think it's still, I think it's hard no matter what, because here we are, we're like completely putting ourselves out there. And it's tricky to navigate those dating apps. It is tricky. I'm curious to ask how you felt going into the dating scene after your surgeries. What was going through your head? So what happened for me was when I first uh, chose to have a double mastectomy, I was in a relationship and I really thought this was the guy. Like I really Mm -hmm. thought this is my person. So I now that's not why I chose to do it. I mean, I just got a hit that I had to do it. It was what was right for me. But I think that part of that might have made it a little easier. So when I um, when we broke up and I had to put myself out there, <laughs> to tell you the truth, the first time I did that, I that I met a guy um, on one of the dating apps. I believe it was Bumble. Um, I think I had like six. I'm not. I'm not a big drinker, but I think I had six drinks. I think I had like six glasses of wine. I was like such a wreck. Okay, don't judge me. I'm gonna out myself on this one too. I also, because I was so drunk, I had sex with the guy that night. <laughs> this is out there for the whole world. <laughs> okay. So as I'm digging, I'm gonna keep telling the story. So, so you know, it's getting intimate, and you know, my top is is off, and he's feeling around, and he's pretty drunk too, right? Mm. And he's like touching my breasts; it's hot and heavy. And all of a sudden, he like whispers in my ear, and he goes, "Amy." I was like, "What?" He goes, "I can't find your nipples because <laughs> of my surgery." <laughs> oh God! <laughs> That's what he whispers in your ear. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, it's so romantic. I can't find your nipples, Amy. So I was like, well, you know, like I, you know, I, my, I lost my breast to cancer. They're implants. So he goes to me, oh, who doesn't have implants? I was like, mm, okay. And then he like got, I know, is that like ridiculous? Then he, he just like got back to having, we got back to having sex. And of course I never saw him again. But that was the first time for me. After that, I I told people, and like I said to you, people knew if they Google me. Now, I don't know if, if, I Google people before I go out with them. Do you do that? Do you Google people before you go out with them? I totally Google everyone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, the information is out there, so I don't want to go in, you know, knowing as little as possible. I want to know something. Me too. So here's my question. I wonder if guys Google women Mm. as much as women Google guys. Because I feel like if a guy Googled me, my show, Nice Tits, is all over the place. And maybe they don't read. I mean, that's terrible to say, but maybe they're not reading the full article. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're not reading the full article, but they're just saying, oh, show, Nice Tits. And they're just like, you know, thinking I'm like a porn star. But um, but if people Google you, they'll find, <laughs> it's ridiculous, they'll find your Modern Love article. They will find the Modern Love article. Uh, this, is, this is something right. I've thought about recently. Did you not think of that? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think about it now. Yeah. 
at the time that I wrote the article, I had no idea whether or not it would be accepted or published. I wasn't even thinking that far down the line. It was written almost as a journal entry for myself in some ways. It's a great article. So I didn't tell you this, but I dated a guy with a prosthetic leg. You did? Oh. I was in a relationship with a guy for a year. Yeah. Uh huh. Really? And yeah. did you, okay? So yes. now I have a question. Go ahead. Did you, you know? ask? Go ahead. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Did I love, you know? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. He was an amputee before you met him. I did. So this is what happened. So I met him. I can't remember. I want. I, I don't know. It was it was one of the dating apps. I can't, I can't even remember which one. And we had fantastic conversations just great great conversations for hours and hours and hours and he was like my first person that I was like really interested in after Roy and I broke up and I didn't tell him I didn't know like what you know good looking guy oh my god Chris has seen pictures I'm very very handsome guy um and I didn't know when I was going to tell him and we were making plans to meet and he said oh this makes me cry because there's something you need to know before we meet and I was like, oh, I was like, what's he going to tell me? He's like married with like five children. Like, what is he going to tell me? And he said, I have a prosthetic leg. He, and he, he, he explained his story that he was in an accident and then he got a really bad infection and he had to lose his leg. He said, will that be an issue for you? He said, I understand if you can't go out with me because of it. Um, and oh. I took a breath and I said, I know, right? Like I yeah. took a breath and I said, I got Randy. No, it's not an issue at all. I can't wait to meet you. And he literally said these, I know. These are the words he said to me. I love that we're both like crying. These are the words he said to me. He goes, you restored my faith in humanity. (gasps) Oh, Oh my God. I already love it. (laughs) He said, so then I said, well, since we're revealing things, Mm. there's something I should probably tell you. And I told him. And I really feel like it, it's an interest. Like, we had had our surgeries right around the same time. Oh, Like, months apart without knowing it. I know. And I think there was tremendous healing. Like, I was probably his first serious, well, I don't know if he would say serious, but relationship, you know, after his surgery. And he was after mine. And he's still really important in my life. And, and it was, um, it didn't, it just didn't matter to me. If he hadn't brought up his story over text before you met would you have brought up yours well it was over phone uh you know I think this is what I would have done I think I would have waited to meet him in person Mm. because I feel like and and I've had like uh, friends, like I said, you have been like, well, you should you should put that out up front. I'm like, what? Are you giving your personal information out up front? Are you ta- like, I don't I don't need to do that. I feel like if I connect with someone, um, and it's someone I'm interested in, then I can tell them. Mm-hmm. But I usually tell them on a first date. Now you will probably find humor in this because you have a good sense of humor but Randy and I and this is in my show we would debate all the time which is more difficult losing your leg or losing your breasts and he would say to me losing your breasts and I and I would go are you out of your mind I was like no I was like losing your leg I was like Randy you cannot even compare it and I was like I don't walk on I I was like Randy I don't walk on my boobs I was like you can't compare (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, you just cannot, right? I was like, to me, there's like zero comparison at all. I've never even thought about that. Was, and isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Because he was like, well, you're, you know, it's such a strong part of your femininity. And and mm-hmm. for me, I was a woman, I would never, ever compare it at all because I disagree with him. But in losing my breasts, it I was a woman who deeply identified with my breasts. Mm-hmm. And they were very, very attached to my feelings of femininity. And it goes back to what you were talking about and my feelings of self-worth and self-love and what I have learned from this process, which is why I love what you were saying before, that if I'm comfortable with it, they're going to be more comfortable. And if I, it's really about me loving myself and accepting me because I feel like no one can accept me fully until I accept me fully first. Yes, yes, yes. This is exactly, (laughs) (laughs) this is exactly what I've felt over the last few months, you know, when I was thinking back to my experiences on the dating apps, you know, I know I have one leg. Why did I feel the need to text these guys before I was meeting them asking if they knew that I had one leg? Because I deep down was really nervous that they would be uncomfortable meeting me, that I needed to somehow make the scenario more easygoing, more comfortable for the guy, Mm. that I didn't want to add in curveballs, that I just wanted it to all go well, smooth sailing. And it really wasn't until I kind of changed my entire mindset going on these apps where I I just decided, like, I need to spend less time focusing on other people being comfortable meeting me. The only thing, my only job is to make sure I'm comfortable showing up as the best version of myself, meeting whoever. And wherever it goes from there is wherever it goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's a, um, I want to talk to you more about that in the sense of how do you come to that place? Because I think... I think that's something that everyone can relate to or most people can relate to because that's really that's really a journey. Like did you did you go to therapy or are you a meditator or did you just are you just very reflective? Like how how have you worked on that uh, aspect of self acceptance and self love? It's been a combination of definitely some therapy along the way and also mm-hmm. relying on A lot of friends that I have my age who are also amputees. So they've been a very good support system for me. And, you know, there are people all around the country who I've become really close to that I can call texts really at all hours of the day. How did you connect with them? How did you find them? Oh, so I connected with these friends mostly through a summer camp that I started attending as a young girl. It was the Amputee Mm -hmm. Coalition Youth Camp. They hosted a one-week free summer camp every July for about 100 to 150 kids with prosthetics or kids missing limbs. 
And so my parents signed me up when I was nine years old, and I went every summer as a kid growing up. And, you know, the campers, were we were from all around the country, but we became very, very close because for a lot of us, it was the first time we were meeting other people who looked like us. And, you know, when we were going through high school, I looked forward to this camp every summer during high school because these were like the people that I could get the best advice on, you know, how do you get dressed for junior prom how are you wearing your prosthetic with you know skinny jeans how are you handling pool parties senior year of high school like these are the people I could actually talk to about that wow yeah that's so amazing that you had that and still have that community because it does make a difference when people really um, people can be empathetic but when people really get it it's very different it is different and This was a group that I considered to have almost as a second family in some ways because, you know, I'm the only amputee in my family and my family is great. They're very supportive, but it's a different kind of experience talking to people who who live through what I live through. And so, you know, when we were in high school aging out of camp, about 30 of us decided that we were going to apply to return as counselors because we still wanted to stay in touch and be there each summer with each other and and hopefully share you know what we've learned along the way with the next batch of you know 10 and 14 year old girls and so I still return every year with the same group and oh I love that (laughs) I love it too Love that. I have to tell you, I went to summer camp my whole life. I mean, I wish I wish I could go back to camp, but I love that you have that community and that you're giving back. Yeah, it's important to me because, you know, there's a lot of campers, a lot of girls who are going through the same experiences I did growing up, and I don't have easy answers or easy solutions for them. So part of what, you know, we talk about all the time is how much of this is a process and how much you have to trust the process. And if you're willing to not get too stuck in your ways and you're willing to open your mind up to different ways of looking at a crappy situation at times, then then your whole world can change. The way you approach every single, you know, prospective date is going to change if you're willing to go there. Do you mind if I back it up for a second? Can you tell me because I, I can you tell me how you lost your leg? Yes, I was born with two legs and I had a lovely set of two legs for (laughs) seven years. And when I was seven, I was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a very rare bone cancer in my right knee. It was diagnosed in 2002. And it was really an interesting diagnosis for me because I didn't really have any pain or any symptoms at the time. My knee was just particularly swollen. And my mom, Mm -hmm. who's a pediatric nurse, noticed that my knee was swelling, you know, when she was putting on my pajamas at night. And my gym teacher, I think, mentioned to her that I seemed to be out of breath during gym class. But it was nothing I'd noticed in myself. So no pain, no other symptoms, just this swollen knee. And it turned out to be, down the line, osteosarcoma and... Unfortunately, the the tumor in my right knee had grown so aggressively around a lot of the blood vessels that it was not a tumor that could be removed surgically. And I also knew at the time that chemotherapy was not going to be enough. So we mm-hmm. knew 
right when I was diagnosed that I was most likely going to have the leg amputated. How did your parents handle that? How did you handle that? What, what, was, what was that experience like for you? It was surreal. Uh, I was, you know, scared of the diagnosis because cancer is a scary word. So I was scared, you know, hearing that I had cancer. I was scared to know that I had to leave school and that I'd be going to the hospital every day. And my parents, you know, were very open with me about, you know, the surgery because we knew about six months before the surgery that this was, you know, a very real possibility. And Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, being in those rooms, having these conversations, knowing that the, the leg was most likely going to be amputated and just feeling very Uh, lost is the best word. I wouldn't even say I was particularly scared because it was such uncharted new territory. I just felt like I was walking into a new world of complete unknowns. And I knew that every time amputation was brought up in any setting, my parents, you know, looked like they were about to puke or cry. So it always had this very heavy, heavy aura, the entire conversation. And so I was nervous more than anything else because I had no idea what I was going to look like when I woke up from that operation. I didn't know what other amputees looked like, how they walked around. And so it just felt so, so unfamiliar to me. And you're seven. Yeah, and I'm seven. You're seven years, and you're seven years old. So did you, um, how soon after did you get your prosthesis? I got my first prosthesis a few months after the amputation. Or no, it was probably a few weeks after the amputation. But it took a lot of practice, you know, with the physical therapist and with my prosthetist to really learn how to put the leg on, how to stand on it without holding crutches, and how to take my first steps uh, balancing well. So that was a process that took months alone, and I wasn't wearing the leg for too long every day at that time. I started off wearing it just a few minutes to a half hour to an hour, and then I was practicing standing in the leg, which felt different from sitting in the leg, and then even more different from walking around. So there were a lot of different layers there. And what was it like when you went back to school? How were kids with you? Were they kind? Were they... How was that? It was interesting going back to school because I I had the same classmates. I left class in like first grade and I went back sometime partway through third grade. And my classmates knew that I was gone because I'd been sick. You know, and that's about all they knew. Some of them knew what cancer was, knew that I had had cancer. You know, by the time I went back to school, I had like just started growing my hair back. So it was like it looked like a little pixie cut. And I did feel really excited to go back to school because I missed, you know, my class, my teachers. I missed being around uh, kids who were outside of the hospital. Uh, So I, I enjoyed going back to school and having a routine, but it was really hard figuring out what I could handle then. You know, I wasn't able to wear the leg all day during school. So I actually, the first 
three years back at school would take a wheelchair with me and sometimes I would sit in the wheelchair and get wheeled between places sometimes I wouldn't and it took a while for me to get really comfortable kind of accepting that you know I was taking a wheelchair to school and that sometimes I was going to get tired and I wasn't going to be able to do everything at the same pace as my classmates it's a lot yeah, it, it was a lot. And then during the day at school, I would also leave for physical therapy and I'd leave for occupational therapy. And then for gym, we'd actually had an adaptive gym class at my school. Will you explain to people what an adaptive gym class is? Yeah, so an adaptive gym class is essentially a version of regular PE that most kids, you know, in public schools are getting, except it's a smaller class and the gym teacher is trained to adjust what's happening in gym for students who have physical disabilities. So instead of, you know, having us run around a track that was, you know, made up in, you know, in in the first floor of like this public school in Brooklyn, uh, we had cones. Mm -hmm. So instead of having us, you know, run around and laps, uh, we focused on, you know, taking a slow walk, taking a next round going a little bit faster then moving the next round with a partner. And so it was just really designed to get us to be active, but at our own paces. I love that. And now I'm skipping to today because I am fascinated by this. You're a rock climber? You have got to talk to me about this. Yes, I took up rock climbing the summer before COVID. I'd been hearing through a few friends that Brooklyn Boulders had an adaptive rock climbing group and that they met Tuesday nights at Brooklyn Boulders in Queensbridge in Long Island City. Mm-hmm. And so my first question was, okay, like, how do I sign up? And do I go alone? Do I find a friend? And I happened to have a friend who lives in Long Island City who also wanted to rock climb. And she got a membership to this gym. And I called Brooklyn Boulders. And they said, oh, you don't even need a membership. We just were open Tuesday nights to all adaptive climbers. You know, come come whenever you want. So we went the first night and I walked in and, you know, they gave me one single shoe because I took my prosthetic off and (laughs) a harness and we paired up and they have a bunch of volunteers there who are there to basically help belay you. And it was just so fun. So I would pick, you know, different courses that I wanted to tackle. And, you know, everyone's cheering one another on. They're clapping. I've met a few other amputees and a few other climbers who are actually wheelchair users and and get out of their chair and their arm strengths beyond me. Wow. Yeah, because you need I, I've tried climbing a few times and actually it's on my list to sign up for a place here in, in Hollywood. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. It's like climbing is what we're climbing is like I was like, I, I dated a guy. I, it always seems like I'm going back to talking about people I dated. But I dated a guy who was a climber. And I was like, always went to the gym. And I thought, Oh, this is this is going to be easy. Oh, my God. It was the yeah. hardest thing I ever did. It's a different kind of workout. Your arms are sore in places you didn't even know existed. And and then, you know, it's it's a good workout for my my left leg. And then, you know, that balance between not wanting to overdo it on my left leg, but also wanting my left leg to like be as strong as it can be. And so rock climbing has been perfect because it really it puts to work what I have. It 
helps you build some upper body strength, which is always useful. And it's just, it's been so fun, like getting to the the rock wall and taking my leg off, putting it on the side. And no one even takes a second look because all body types are welcome and and really seeing what I can push myself to do. I mean, it's it's been really, really fun. Is that a big thing for you to see how far you can push yourself? Yeah, it is. It's definitely been a a big thing for me because I I've always been the kind of person who's interested in more things than I'm not interested in, you know. I I have a lot of mm-hmm. curiosity about finding out what people with physical disabilities can actually do if they're right. willing to keep their prosthetics on, take their prosthetics off. And, you know, when I see something that looks really fun and like a new challenge, like rock climbing could be, I've never wanted to put myself in a position where I feel like, oh, that might not be for me, or maybe this wouldn't work with my leg. You know, I've I've reached this point where I want to try to make it work. I want to at least try. And so with climbing, I just committed to showing up to adaptive night and trying with with the leg, without the leg, and finding what worked and then sticking to it. And it was such a good call because I have this, you know, new hobby now that I can have so much fun with. Oh, my goodness. You're inspiring me to, like, <laughs> sign up for these classes. Because I'm like, oh, will I be able to do it? It looks so hard. But, yeah, I think, I think, you're, I think I'm going to do it because of you. Do you, you also ski. You're also a downhill skier. Yes, I do ski. Skiing was the very (laughs) first sport that I tried after losing my leg. And what a journey it has been. I, I started skiing when I was about nine years old because, uh, the hospital where I'd been treated at Memorial Sloan Cuttering in Manhattan, mm-hmm. they actually had the amputee coalition send uh, a woman who was missing her leg to visit me. And that woman told my parents, you know, there's a great adaptive ski camp at Camelback Mountain in Pennsylvania. It's one week every February. We take a few kids, mostly amputees, and they get one-on-one instructions learning how to ski. And so my mom thought this was great. We don't have anyone who skis in our family, but my mom was like, this would be great for you and your body image. It would be great for you to meet other kids your age. We're going to sign you up. And so I signed up and went to this camp, and it was really hard to pick up at first because I I wasn't wearing my prosthetic leg, and so I really had to build really good balance on my left leg. And I also had to get comfortable trusting myself on the mountain, and and that took time, but when we got there after a few days, it, it started to click and it's just been so, so liberating going on the mountain and being able to ski with, with anyone essentially. You know, I, I ski now with people who have no legs, one leg, two legs, and it's just so fun. I'm just so amazed and inspired by you. I, I, I really, really am. I really am. Because you're so comfortable with yourself. Do you think that because of everything that you went through at such a young age, that's why you're so comfortable with yourself? I think that's definitely played a part in this because I'm at this point now where I've been living with one leg for 
for so long and there have been so many highs and lows and bumps along the way for me to work out and I think Mm -hmm. especially the last few years after college and in med school right now I've been able to to dig a little deeper and think about how I've been treating myself, how I've been handling new dates and, and how I've been going into new social situations. And I think it's really culminated the last few years in me realizing that, you know, I can trust my body, I can trust myself. And I've reached this point where, you know, I'm not just at a point of accepting my body, but I really celebrate it. I'm happy with it. And I think the way I've reached that kind of level of happiness is, you know, like we just talked about, finding activities where I can push my body to its best and, and I'm proud of what it's it's been through. And so when I think of how proud I am of, of how good life has been to me and the doors that have opened, honestly, as an amputee and, and what my legs gotten me through, where it's taken me, when I focus and think hard about that, then, then everything else starts to seem like a distraction. And that's, you know, where I found the comfort to walk around wearing whatever the heck I want to wear. It's how I found the comfort to be on dating apps, to not ask questions about whether the guy knows about my leg, to just just say, right. hey, I made a dating app. I have photos showing my leg, and that is enough on my end. That's good enough for me. And I'm going to go meet this guy, and I don't know if he knows about my leg, but I am so proud of what this leg has done for me that I actually I'm I'm comfortable, and I don't care, and I'm feeling good in my own skin, and that's all that I'm going to let matter. And so it's it's been a journey, but that's that's how I've started to view all these experiences. Sex After is hosted by me, Amy Marks, and is produced by Chris DeRosa. If you enjoy the show, I'd love to hear from you. DM me on Instagram at Amy Marks and Sex After Podcast, or send me a message on my website at amymarks.com. And please follow, rate, and review the show and help us spread the word. Until next time.